0: when we fall short of the glory of God. That's what sin is. And however
1: you look at Romans chapter seven, that's our struggle. Welcome to Working With The Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into the 72nd episode of Working With The Word. Today, we are tackling one of our difficult passage submissions on Romans 7 from Hal Hammonds. We did something kind of unique with this episode and had Hal come on, and we're part of a conversation with him about the particular subject and talking about those things. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But since we're talking about Romans 7, and that's kind of outside of what we've been doing, or maybe just seems like we're jumping right into that. We want to do some observation together. And so we're going to read Romans chapter 7 in the Christian Standard Bible. Kind of keep that fresh on our minds. We'll jump into our conversation today.
2: So this is Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Since I'm speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then, if she is married to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. You belong to him. Who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God? For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from that law, since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for that law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin... Seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that, through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure.
1: For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self I delight in God's law. But I see different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin.
2: So here's our conversation with Hal, and I hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome to Working with the Word. This is Jeff O'Rear with Emerson Brown, today with a special guest for one of our difficult passages episode. Today we have Hal Hammonds with us. Hal Hemens is the preacher for the Lakewoods Drive Church of Christ in Georgetown, Texas, north of Austin, or kind of in the Austin area, isn't that right? If you're That's right. That part of Texas. Uh, Hal's biography: he has described himself before as a Christian, a family man, a preacher, and an Aggie, in that order. Uh, if we have any Texas A&M graduates or Aggies, and maybe you'll appreciate some of that pride with all of that. Uh, Hal, thank you for being with us today for joining us for this difficult passage episode.
0: I'm oh, glad to be here, I, and I'll go ahead and say this too, just for the sake of anybody else who out there might be invited to join this this little show that Jeff and Emerson put on, which is a great show. and I'm glad to be here and all that. But here's the way this worked: you see, they asked me, or they asked all of us, to submit these difficult passages that we might study on. And I've always scratched my head over Romans chapter seven, and I thought that would be good to help these two fellows seem like they're bright and. And they know what's going on. So I'll ask them to answer this question. And I don't hear from them for like six or eight months. And then they t- give me a message to say, hey, Hal, would you come on to the podcast and talk about Romans chapter seven? So, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a of a bait and switch going on there. I don't know if anybody else's experience has been the same kind of thing, but uh, but be warned. I'm glad to be here. No question about it. But uh, but sometimes you uh, you get into more than you realize you're getting into
1: Might uh, have shot ourselves in the foot of having more people suggest recommendations (laughs) for this particular series, I guess. Uh, You do have your own podcast, so we have to say that.
0: That's That's true. And uh, the fellows have been on with me on The Citizen of Heaven. And it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. We're looking forward to the conversation.
1: Emerson, why don't you kind of introduce our uh, topic of where we're going to be focusing on today and kind of a little bit of a short structure for our show today.
2: Okay, so as Hal mentioned, um, he submitted a question to us regarding Romans chapter 7, really beginning in verse 14 to the end of the chapter, where, where Paul is describing his experience with sin and his relationship to sin, and how he's got this struggle between wanting to do the right thing and follow God's law, but he feels like he can't do that. And so the question is, is Paul describing his experience before his conversion to Christ? Is he describing himself under the law, or is he describing his experience even as a Christian? under Christ. And so we're going to do something we've never done before. This is, this is not an interview necessarily. This is more like a roundtable discussion, but we're going to begin with just some observations, talking about Romans as a whole, how this fits in. Then we'll get into what two basic interpretations might be, uh, two primary options. And then we'll talk about together some applications to help wrap this up. So Romans chapter seven obviously falls in the middle, approximately the whole book of Romans. It's important that we kind of plug Romans chapter seven here in with everything else, because it's not, it's not just Romans seven, right? This is a part of a whole conversation. Um, so it to be helpful to us to get us started to thinking about where are we in the whole argument of Romans and what bearing does this have on our whole understanding of this text? So just run a really, I guess, broad. Outline of Romans. You've got chapters one through three that describe humanity's condition with sin. Right. Mm-hmm. Romans chapter one yeah. describes the Gentiles and how they have they have no excuse for rejecting God, but they have rejected Him, and so they've been handed over to sin. Romans chapter two, the Jews are thinking, "Oh, you know, this is great," but Paul says to the Jews, "You have no excuse." In chapter 3, he makes the point that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The next section, really starting to be in at the end of chapter 3, Paul talks about God's plan to overcome that through Jesus. He's the, the righteousness of God. He is the propitiation. And we see him being given chapter 4, chapter 5, kind of unpacks this idea of faith in him, and what that looks like in chapter 6, kind of talking about, our relationship to Christ, we are dead to sin, alive to God. Uh, and that brings us to chapter seven, where it begins, chapter seven begins by talking about how, again, he's using an illustration, of our relationship to the law, just like in a marriage, as long as we are married to someone, we're bound to that, that one. And if we marry another while still in that relationship, we have committed adultery. Well, in the same way, he says that we've died to sin. And so uh, we've died to the law. And that's the point he makes. And that brings us to chapter 7, verse 7, where he really begins this discussion about sin and law. And, And so that kind of brings us to our discussion today. You guys got anything to add to that outline? Do you think that's a fair way of kind of summarizing the book up to this point? Yeah. I think it's a
0: very good way of summarizing it. I think that, that captures it. Paul has a, a tendency in his epistles, some more than others. Ephesians, the classic, but Romans 2, to a certain degree. He has all of his philosophical, theoretical uh, points that he stacks up at the at the beginning. And then he has a practical application, which in Romans starts in chapter 12, the way mm-hmm. I look at it. And, and this is what it means for you in your, your practical application of these principles.
1: So we're still in him... Building his arguments. We're probably familiar with some language in Paul, kind of like the so or therefore's moving thoughts along, or even within Romans, 8, some of these, whether it's rhetorical questions or legitimate questions, Paul is using these questions as a basis to either you know make his points or strengthen answer those particular questions or just address some of those things. We're here in this particular text, and even within this, a Remembering before and after, we'll probably get to the more the after of Romans chapter 7 as we get to the application in a second. But within this particular chapter, you have the illustration of marriage that you talked about, but then probably really more of our conversation today, somewhat starting in verse 7, is this whole conversation that we've read about of sin and the law and how do those things relate? How do those things relate to Paul? We'll use some of the conversation in a little bit about slavery. Um, Paul talks about how he's no longer a slave to sin, but there's some things here that seems like he's still struggling with that. What else do you feel like we can state before we get going into some of our interpretation stuff?
2: I think one of the things that's important to mention, we have to let context help us define the way Paul is using words. Um, One of the things that we talked about with how, when we were planning this, is that the, the word law in these verses, verses 14 through 25, is used several times in different, in different senses, in different ways to refer to different things. For instance, in verse 22, he says, for in my inner self, I delight in God's law. That's obviously referring to not just law in general, but something that God has established as law, But in verse 23, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my death. In that verse, he's using law in a totally different way to refer to not God's law, but something that is pushing Paul towards sin. And so Mm. one of the confusing things about Paul, and this is especially true of Romans, is Paul uses the same word to refer to three or four different things in different contexts, and so we kind of have to, we have to follow him carefully, his reasoning carefully, and try to let the context decide that, Um, so I guess that that plays into our discussion today, what law is he talking about um, in in these verses, when he talks about the the law of God, is he talking about the the, the Mosaic law, um, or is he talking about kind of the moral law that he talks about in, in Romans chapter one, that the Gentiles know, even though they don't you know, they don't have the the written oracles of God through the Old Testament. Well, that's just one thing to mention. But the other thing kind of along with that is in the previous verses, verse 12, Paul makes the point that it's not the law's fault that we sin. The law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. So that's one thing we need to establish from the very beginning. It can be confusing to read Paul saying that that I didn't know covetousness until the law came and it said, you shall not covet. Well, it sounds like he could be saying that the law made me do it, but that's not it at all. The law reveals God's justice and his holiness and his goodness. And it's only by seeing the goodness that we can really understand the bad. So it's not the law itself. The law is just the revelation of God and his will, but rather it's the sinfulness, the sin that that we choose to do. That's That's where he places the blame here. So Uh, I think it's important that we understand the goodness of God's law. And following up on Emerson's point
0: about context, it's important that context is not always a hill that we must die on. Uh, This is a a rule of Bible study and of of really reading in general, no matter what the context is, no matter what the the material is. But sometimes words do mean different things. Mm -hmm. And, It's important for us as Bible readers to appreciate the difference between an apparent conflict in a passage and an out-and-out contradiction, because someone might say, well, this passage can't mean position A because of this conflict here, and it can't mean position B because of this conflict over here, and therefore the Bible contradicts itself, and I'm going to throw away my Bible. We have, if we believe in the Bible, you take a broad view of whether the Bible is or is not God's word. If you believe and you firmly believe that this is God's word, then the conflicts that we have, the struggles that we have interpreting individual situations, individual chapters or verses or words yields to the greater thing. And so we're not going to get so bent out of shape about, well, this word in verse eight means this, but in verse 12, it seems to mean something totally different. Well, I guess the Bible's contradicting itself. No, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, Sometimes words do change meaning and sometimes the meaning stay the same. If you keep a solid, consistent view of scripture, of interpretation, of inspiration, then we wind up working our way through these difficulties. Uh, I'm a big fan of context. I think words should most of the time, do most of the time, mean the same thing when they're used in the same way in the same place. But that's
1: not always the case. So let's talk about some ways we would interpret this particular section. I know we've, we've read Romans 7. Let's just get a little bit for our reading right now to kind of prime the pump. This is verse 14 of Romans 7. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible right now. We know the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. And we drop down to maybe something like verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? There's some language here where Paul seems to be talking about either a a present tense or maybe a, a past tense. Or I guess I'd say maybe we could look at this as a past tense. Our two primary options are seeing Paul as a Christian and then Paul under the law, and the fact that those two broad terms of Paul present day or Paul, you know, in a time previous is that maybe a fair way to talk about that, Emerson? I think so. I,
2: I think those are the kind of two options we we talked about when we were describing. Well, the two main, I guess, camps of how you might look at this passage. One of the reasons that this was brought up, and it's a good question, in verse 14, Paul says that he is of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. And Hal brought up the point that, that that's an entirely different way, in fact, the exact opposite of the way Paul has described his relationship to sin, like in Romans chapter six, where he says we have died to sin, and we're, so that we're no longer serving it. It's no longer our master, but rather we're alive to God. And so I guess this is one of those things is, well, obviously we accept this as scripture. Paul is not contradicting himself. So what does he mean? Is this a different kind of slavery to sin than he describes in Romans chapter 6? Or is it Paul describing his situation, his circumstances before he came to Christ? But when he was under the law, under the law of Moses, and did not yet understand the freedom that we can have in Christ.
0: And, you know, lest someone think that this is just kind of preachers playing with words and such, the, obviously the easy reading of the text here in the second half of Romans chapter seven is that Paul is talking about himself in the present tense. That's the way he writes. It's, I am this, I am that. And it's not difficult from our own personal experience to relate to that, I, uh, I sin, sometimes I feel like I'm enslaved to sin. Maybe that's all that Paul means. And maybe it is all that Paul means. Maybe, maybe slave in chapter seven means something different than it meant in chapter six Uh, and, and preachers getting into this and and messing around with words. All of a sudden we're, we're ignoring what the scripture says. It's probably worth noting. And I was noticing this in my, my review of the, the commentaries, uh, this is a very, very old position. That that people have taken from second and third centuries, people have been looking at Romans chapter seven and seeing this as a demonstration of Paul's view of himself in a previous life, essentially, um, mm-hmm. while he was under that doesn't make it right, obviously. Yeah, but it's not an out there, newfangled college boy position on Romans chapter
2: seven. This is this is a well established position people have taken for years. Well, I, I think the idea of of Paul describing his, his current feelings, as even as a Christian, that he still struggles with sin. I think from, from the times that I've heard people teach this or talk about this passage, that seems to be the, the interpretation that a lot of people, perhaps most people, tend to land on, at least in my experience. Maybe your guys' experience is different. And maybe one of the reasons that's true is because we can easily relate to this. We, I think, I mean, we realize even as Christians, even though we have put flesh to death, there's still a part of us that wants to sin. There's still a part of us that we're tempted to sin. But it's still, so it's really relatable that we can read this and we can say, oh, yeah, Paul struggled too. And, and this is my struggle too. Uh, but again, that doesn't make it necessarily the right position just because we can relate to it. There's something we can certainly learn from it, even if it's not Paul describing his, his, his. Um, current situation as a Christian. And so, so how we talked about this and, and kind of where we landed as a group, where, where are you right now in understanding where, which of those positions Paul's describing? Well, as we speak at, <laughs> at this
0: particular moment in time, I am leaning very strongly toward the idea that Paul is speaking accommodatively of his previous life. I think he's talking about the struggles that he faced, the conflicts that were inherent in the law that he may or may not have appreciated. Certainly most Jews did not appreciate during those days. Here is a law that points out sin and points out the penalty for sin. And yet the solution to this sin problem, at least in the short term, is killing a bunch of animals and burning them up on an altar. And as the Hebrew writer, whether it's Paul or somebody else, points out, there's something just inherently wrong with that. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 4, do we really think that this is a proper address to sin? It just doesn't make any sense. And maybe even Paul was struggling with that before he knew Jesus. We don't know that. He didn't comment on that, as far as I know anyway. It seems like it's more likely to me, at least, that he's saying here that the life that I lived under the law was fraught with conflict and angst and and really almost doubt, you might say, with regard to my relationship with God. The more I served the law, the more I realized I was unworthy of the law. I was unworthy of any kind of reward that's contained in the law. It just didn't make any sense that, that I could stand before God as a righteous person because I kept the law. I didn't keep the law. And the more I read the law, he mentions coveting as, uh, as an example of this. It could be anything. The more I saw what the law had to say about sin, the more I saw myself in that. And, and that's one of the, the real struggles that sometimes earnest, well-intentioned people have with regard to studying the Bible. The more I study the Bible, the more I look into the perfect law of liberty that James talks about, the more inadequacies I see in myself. And if this is all about fixing problems, if this is all about erasing all of the glitches on my record, we're going to get to despair before too long. That's just, we're not capable of handling that kind of stress. And and we see it kind of exploding uh, with Paul there in verse number 24. I think he pointed it out before. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. And I think that is one of the passages, especially in this text, that pushes me toward this direction here. Paul has already been delivered from the body of death.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I don't
0: know how you could look at, and we talked before about words being different things in different places. Paul was enslaved to sin in, uh, under the law of Moses. He was dead in sin, technically speaking, under the law of Moses. And we could have a conversation about how the blood of Jesus applies to everybody. But, but just in the context of the law of Moses, there's no remedy for death. The soul that sin, there's no remedy for sin. Rather. The soul that sin shall die. Well, that's where I was. I was under sin and I was dead. And chapter six points out how I came out of that because of Jesus. I was rescued from all that. And verse 24 here seems like it's just a rephrasing of the same thing, that I am now delivered from that. And all of this stress that I was going through, all this inadequacy in me, not in the law, but in me, is is put away in Jesus. I don't have to worry about being a perfect law keeper. I don't have to worry about my shortcomings and my inadequacies. Jesus is sufficient to take care of all of that. He's delivered me from this body of
1: death. It's kind of the beginning of verse twenty-five. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Exactly. It like it's almost, you know, maybe a. Sometimes we want to blame verse numberings and when those place, things take place. Kind of a, an unfortunate because that really concludes that thought from verse twenty-four very well. Definitely leaves some interesting statements there at the end of verse 25. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, my flesh, the law of sin. But I think even with that, you know, we can see that there's hope and there's grace and there's rescue and strength in Jesus, which seems to be ultimately the point of, you know, if you want to block six, seven and eight together here in Romans, some of that leading to there's victory in Jesus Christ.
0: And maybe verse 25 there is is simply pointing out the contrast between someone like Paul who is committed to the law of God versus someone who is not. Hmm. If, If my lifestyle currently is I'm given over to Jesus Christ, I am trusting that Jesus is my savior. He is my adequacy, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This phrase and versions of this phrase come up all through the book of Romans. They're just everywhere. And this is where I am now. And he contrasts that with the lifestyle that he just just discussed. There used to be a different me. There used to be a me that was concerned with the flesh in the sense that there was no spiritual remedy for sin. All I had was my flesh. And with that, that flesh was essentially serving the law of sin, as he says there, and suffering the penalty for the law of sin that he was under in that situation. And this is part of the deliverance that I have been taken out of the one
2: I've been placed into the other because mm-hmm. of Jesus. And it, I think if it's, it's helpful to, I guess for full disclosure, I, I kind of land in the same way that, that Hal just described, where Paul is describing his past, and he's describing the inadequacy, I think as a word that you used before, of the law to fix the problem of sin. And Paul has already made the point that, that the law was never intended to fix the problem of sin. He makes the point in Galatians that it came because of transgressions and Hebrews chapter 10 that you mentioned in the law and these sacrifices, there's a constant reminder of sin. It was never intended to be the ultimate fix to sin. If it was, then there would have been no need for Jesus. But if we back up in Romans seven to verse four, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead. Even in the same chapter, he he says that we have been put to death in relation to the law. In verse 6, but now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. So he says that, that we have died to that which held us. And I think that idea of being held is being held captive, and that's what he's describing in these verses. And so he says that we no longer serve in the old letter of the law at the end of verse 6. That's the the law of Moses. And the following verses up to chapter 8, he's describing what that experience is like, to be captive by the old letter of the law, to have the inadequacies of the law, only seeing the inadequacies of ourself and the law to fix the problem of sin. But he says, instead, we serve in the newness of the Spirit. And that's language that he picks up in chapter eight, when he says in verse one, there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so it seems like in verse six, he's kind of setting up this contrast where he's going to tell us this is what it's like to be enslaved to the law and to see the problem of sin unfixed. You can see it with a magnifying glass so clearly, but you, you haven't overcome it. But in chapter 8 in Christ, we have. Um, to me, that makes a lot of sense trying to follow his reasoning there. And, you know, even there you read verse number four, that how we were put to death
0: in relation to the law through the body of Christ. And then in verse number five, for when. Or rather, at the end of verse number four, you belong to him who was raised from the dead, going back to that same imagery that we saw back in chapter six. That we are dying in Jesus, raised to walk in newness of life, which is not as oftentimes assumed a heaven passage. That's talking about a rejuvenated life passage, a, new, a second chance passage. Mm-hmm. You get to live in a way that's profitable, a way that, that brings God glory, a, a way that has some kind of hope built into itself of reward, of, of fellowship after this life is over. We have to die to that life of sin. And to a certain degree, at least, as Paul's indicating here in chapter seven, that connects to the law of Moses. If your satisfaction is in the law of Moses, you're going to have to find a way to get past that. You're going to have to to die to that way of thinking and and be renewed in Jesus. And Paul, of course, is fascinated with this idea of the resurrection. It keeps coming up um, in many, many of his epistles. He began Romans by talking about the one who's been raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead gives us hope that this battle that we had fought and lost with sin is over now. And it's not a matter of fighting it better or getting a second chance. We are delivered from that battle entirely because Jesus has come and he's been raised from the dead. We are also now raised from the dead. We are empowered to walk in newness of life.
1: That's really what we're hoping to land on or land in that kind of area of what are we taking away from you know, not just the, the difficult part of this passage or this chapter, but with this passage and context, everything around it, how are we seeing that victory? And I think you've illustrated that very well and talked about that. Well, and part of you know, ultimately we want to be working towards the application. And it, it may not be that that's just a one 30 to 40 minute conversation with two other guys. We're going to, be able to come with that. And, um, like we talked about before that this is, you know, a couple of ways you can look at this passage and we would always recommend that people would study on their own and try to look for that question on their own, but looking for that victory and that glory in Jesus, um, I think is definitely the takeaway here.
0: I think that in chapter six and verse 14, there is some of that conflict that some people see in chapter seven and, and, now, I'm taking the position that it's not what chapter seven is talking about. But when it says that we're not supposed to let sin reign in our mortal bodies, uh, that's a different image than the idea of death. We're not talking about being dead in sin. He's just said in the previous verses, we're not dead in sin. But in Jesus, we can put ourselves in a position where we're allowing sin to reign,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where sin is dominating our lives. We are being pushed in the wrong direction. And hopefully, of course, we, we acknowledge our need for a savior. God is merciful toward us. We're able to rise above this. And to a certain degree, of course, all have sinned and fall short of the blood of God. But the idea of sin reigning in our lives you know, on a temporary basis is very different from the idea of being dead in sin, being enslaved to sin. Uh, it's certainly true, whether you take it in Romans chapter 7 or not, that we as Christians can give ourselves over to this. The wrong side of this battle. We can allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies. Paul's point in chapter six is that you're better than this. You know better than this. You should be above this sort of conflict. You ought to be able to, to trust in Jesus and rise above this kind of battling. And as he says elsewhere, Galatians especially, you can get to the point where sin is reigning in your life so much that you are disconnected from Jesus. But the solution to sin reigning in your life is not being baptized. It's not uh, establishing a relationship with Jesus. You already have a relationship with Jesus. And uh, he's supposed to be your Lord and Savior. So remember that. Go back to that. Allow that to characterize your life in every situation more than it is right now. So if someone wants to put that meaning into Romans chapter 7, I'm not sure that it's deviating terribly far from the from the message of Romans. I, I wouldn't bust a gut over somebody taking that in Romans chapter 7. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's in Romans. I think it's a, a struggle that we do go through, but, uh,
2: but maybe not in this particular passage. Yeah, even if we take the position that Paul is describing his experience under the law. It doesn't minimize in any way our current experience as Christians. I mean we right. we still feel that same conflict. And I think he even addresses that in chapter eight and verse five, moving a little bit out of the context, but it's still the same conversation. He says, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. So again there's that you know as as you were talking there how i was thinking about you know how first john puts it walking in the light or walking in darkness it's right. the same choice that we have here and that to make the right choice is often a battle within mm-hmm. us and if we set our minds on the spirit i think what this is telling us is that we're free in christ not free to do whatever we want to do certainly right. from chapter 6 verse 1 shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase certainly not but we are free from the constraints of sin, sin itself is its own master and slavery, but we're free from that. We're free to make the right decision. We're free to have life. We're free to have hope because of what Jesus has done.
0: Well, you know, our battle with sin in a general sort of sense is, I guess, maybe what Romans is all about, what the New Testament is all about, as far as that goes. I I have more and more come to look at Romans 3.23 as the best definition of sin. I, I grew up thinking of James 1, 17, you know, the one who does do good and doesn't do it to him as a sin. Okay, well, there's sin defined. Well, yes and no, it's it's describing sin. And then I found 1 John 3, 4, that uh, the one who is lawless, commits sin, sin is lawlessness. Okay, well, there's there's definition of sin. Well, that's describing positive sin, doing bad things as opposed to not doing good things like we see in James But I think more and more, the idea of falling short of the glory of God, that's what sin is. When we fall short of the glory of God, that's what sin is. And however you look at Romans chapter seven, that's our struggle. We are constantly going to be falling short of the glory of God. Did you sin today? Well, I don't know. Did you love your neighbor as yourself today? You know, were you generous today? Were you kind hearted today? It's Most of these things are impossible to measure except by God's standards. Did you love your neighbor as much as God loves your neighbor? No, I did not. (laughs) Well, isn't that sin then? Isn't that falling short of the glory of God? And without this remedy that we're talking about here, without Jesus dying on the cross for us, without some kind of, of remedy, I mean, I mentioned the word despair before. How long would it take to despair? The moment you cease to be like God, you're doomed to a devil's hell. I mean, how could we possibly measure up to a standard like that? And the answer is we can't. We're never going to. But because Jesus dies on the cross, that burden is not ours to bear. It was Jesus to bear. And
2: and that just makes all the difference in the world. I think what what this conversation today illustrates among other conversations we've had about difficult passages is that we shouldn't avoid them. Even if we come away thinking, I'm still not sure what this means. Um, at least we've gone through the exercise of thinking about God's thoughts and thinking about um, His Word and um, weighing it and understanding the importance of, of it. And so I think we, we need to not avoid difficult passages. We need to try, to try to understand them as best as we can and draw out the truths that God would want us to draw out.
1: How this isn't in our notes, but it's something that we usually ask whenever we have a guest on. Uh, I'm going to impromptu throw it out to you here. <laughs> what does the phrase deeper Bible study mean to you?
0: Well, in times past, it is probably not meant much different than simply studying the Bible more
1: mm-hmm.
0: or, or studying passages that I don't usually study, things like that, which I guess is deeper after a fashion. But when The last whatever 10, 20 years or so, for me, deeper Bible study means seeing connections, seeing how one thing relates to another. Studying Isaiah side by side with Matthew, for instance, Mm -hmm. and, and realize they're telling the same story. And there's a reason why Isaiah is cited so often in Matthew. One is telling in prospect, one is telling in reality. The same story, This and human beings are the same. Sin is the same. How long have we been falling short of the glory of God? From the beginning, from Adam and Eve, it's all the same. And the more connections I can see with Adam and Eve's struggle, with Cain and Abel's struggle, with Noah's struggle, with Moses' struggle, the more I see my own life in these things, the more I see the story of Jesus especially, in all of these stories, the more I realize that God is the same and his message for mankind is the same. And more or less, my obligations are the same. The, the particulars may change here or there, but do justice, love mercy, walk humbly before your God, Micah 6, verse 8. That has always been what God wants out of his people. Mm-hmm. And the the deeper I go, if I can define the, the phrase by the phrase, the more I study different passages in context, the more cross-references I read, the more times I see a passage cited in the New Testament, I flip over to the Old Testament to see how how it's working out, where it comes from. I was just uh, on my podcast uh, this week, I was uh, turning back to Psalm 37 and looking what it means for the meek to inherit the earth or uh, to inherit the land and seeing what inheriting the land would have meant to David. people in his day and the more i understand that the more i understand what jesus was saying what jesus wasn't saying in the beatitudes so these these layers upon layers of of god connecting us to this eternal story that he's been telling us all this time uh, the deeper you get into it the more amazed you get it's like like looking at a van gogh through a microscope you know it's it's kind of scary almost a little intimidating yeah maybe that's more answer than you were bargaining for i don't know (laughs) i
1: don't don't know if this will be a a proper contrast or not but you know thinking about some things we talked about today you know the more and more you look into the law the more and more you realize oh man i'm i'm just a sinner who's you know going to bring all the curses that are brought upon from what the law has to say but when we approach the word of god with the more and more i get in the word of god the more i'm seeing the graciousness and the love of god it seems like we're those people are hungering and thirsting for more and more and as we're satisfied we just want more and more even from that as well
0: i remember as a, a youngster as preachers would talk about how grateful we are that we're not serving under the law of moses i would read leviticus and read about all these very specific dietary laws and sacrifice laws and and think how how difficult it would be on an ongoing basis to keep the law perfectly and how glad i am that i don't have to do that and now with some some experience with understanding the old law better, understanding the new law better. I realized I missed the point entirely with that. It's not about how difficult it would have been to keep the law of Moses. And the Hebrew writer points this out also. You were never going to keep the law of Moses. You you were never going to earn your way into salvation. You're never going to be so righteous that God was going to be forced to take you into heavenly glory. That that was never an option for us. It's, It's about knowing what God is and and coming to him in faith and trusting that he's merciful and that he loves us and that he is trying to lift us up, trying to get us to heaven.
2: And uh, and if we can get out of our own way, maybe we'll make it. Hal, thanks for joining us today and, and letting us call on you to answer your own difficult passage question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the pleasure was all mine. And, you know, it, there's always good excuses to, to study the Bible further. I, I hope I did not yeah. indicate with my comments that I was trying to push my Bible study off onto you and make you answer my question for me.
2: This been not good at all. Not at all. That's right. And if, yeah. and if anyone of our listeners does have a difficult passage that they want us to talk about, rest assured we will not call upon you to be on this show to answer <laughs> your questions yeah. unless you have your own podcast show. That's, <laughs> right. That's right.
1: We've been on House Program before. We wanted to find a way to get him on with us. Check out the Systems of Heaven podcast. Still do a little bit of 20 pages a week every now and then. Is that right? Or not as the, uh, often, but
0: the uh the, the weekly podcast I'm I'm suspending, but the uh, the class material is still available and the, pod, the podcast is still up. You can still
1: That's listen right. to past episodes. And you can find that material at Spirit Building Publishers, isn't that right? Spiritbuilding.com. Yes. All right. So check out Hal's stuff. Hal's a great guy. We're really thankful to have him today. Hal, uh, take care, keep doing good work. And uh, keep helping us know how we can walk through Satan's world as our correspondent there for us and, mean <laughs> a system of heaven. Thank you so much, guys. Pleasure to mine.
2: Thank you for tuning into Working With The Word today. Stay tuned. Next week, we're going to release a behind-the-scenes update on how Jeff and I are planning to move this podcast forward. You may have noticed that we have not been releasing weekly, even though we call this a weekly podcast for a variety of reasons, so stay tuned next week to see what we're planning to do in the next few weeks. Until then, if there are questions or topics or books of the Bible you would like us to cover in future episodes or difficult passages, you can always find and reach out to us on Facebook at Working With The Word, on Instagram at Working With The or send us an email to Working With The Word Podcast at gmail.com. That's all one word Working With The Word Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus
1: Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.